Good morning, everybody. Welcome to those of you that are watching online. It's a blessing to have you joining us today. But it's always good to be together as God's people. And I heard a little choir section going on right over here. I don't know who that was, but they sounded good. So y'all need to step it up. Just kidding. I think we might have some candidates here, Pastor Hamp. So keep on the lookout. It's good to be together, isn't it? Well, let's just go home then, I guess. What are we wasting our time for? Of course it's good to be together. That's why God created us as the church. And it's good to hear the word of the Lord. Hope you've had a blessed week. Hope you've enjoyed your week in the midst of all of this chaos. My wife and I have a lot of conversations about the craziness of this world. It's easy to get lost in that, isn't it? You find that happening? Your energy and efforts and all your thoughts are focused on what could be, what you wish it would be, and all the mess that's going on. Well, the Lord's got a plan for all that, and he's going to use it for his glory somehow. So let's just hold on to the truth. Amen? And the other good news is spring's coming, so it can't be all that bad, right? In fact, if you've looked at the weather report for next week, it's supposed to be like 60-some degrees next week. So we go from 19 degrees this morning to in the 60s. Love this country, don't you? Awesome place to be. All right. Well, enough silliness. Let's talk about the things of the Lord. So last week I mentioned as way of announcement that the Spanish family, uh, our church family, is meeting on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. And so uh, for prayer specifically. So they've invited you to come every Tuesday night if you can make that happen. They'll be meeting downstairs in the fellowship hall. And then Brother Danny started the first class of our um, Discovering Laurel Hill, if you will. And a couple of people sat for that class and we're thankful for that. This is an opportunity for those of you who may be new to learn about us and us to learn about you. And um, Danny's just an awesome guy. He's handsome. He speaks well. And uh, so you're going to be in good hands. And uh, Peggy will keep him straight if he's not. So uh, that's happening right now on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. in a little room right across from my office in the hallway. If you wonder where that is, we'll lead you there if you're interested. Okay, well, let's pray and let's thank the Lord for our time together. Lord, we really do rejoice in being together as your people. Uh, I know this sounds like a broken record, but uh, we really do need each other. As much as we find it in our flesh to have isolated times and those alone times and pull away from all the struggles of things and the irritations of people, we also find our need for people, our need for each other. And, And how much more so do we need one another in the church? as you've put your spirit in us uh, to enjoy each other's fellowship and just camaraderie, uh, togetherness in this life, uh, to do battle with one another, uh, not against each other, but uh, against the things of evil, Lord, as we walk in the light of your truth. And so uh, we're blessed. Father, help us to enjoy the blessings that we have and, and to push away the things that trouble us so much. It's just so easy to get lost in those things. And I'm certainly speaking to my own heart. I need it as much as anyone. And so uh, fill us today, we pray, Lord, even over a very difficult subject, a challenging subject, a subject that's not fun. Uh, as we've listened last week to what you're warning us about and giving more warning this week, uh, Lord, may we just rejoice in knowing that our, our names are written in heaven. And may we look forward to that day where we're together forever in eternity. And until then, we pray that you'd help us to be faithful in our words, in our thoughts, in our actions, in everything that we are to be and do in this life. So, Lord, uh, we love you and we thank you. So speak to our hearts, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So a lot of people have said, not so much in these words to me, but sometimes in these words, uh, you know, why, why are you Baptist preachers, and I'll pick on us for a minute, always talking about the negative stuff? Why are you always preaching about the things that are draining and, 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 and troublesome and kind of like that Johnny Raincloud kind of person? Uh, I just want you to know this morning, I feel that. Uh, as much as I preach these messages, I often say to the Lord, Lord, can you, can we just bypass all the negative stuff and let's just preach about beautiful skies and, and like I was telling the early service this morning, the, uh, the cotton candy stuff, you know, the, the lollipops and, and gumdrops and all that good stuff. I just want you to know that I feel that. 
I understand that it feels like a heavy weight a lot of times to hear what appears to be negative. But the reality is, uh, this is the Lord's word. We're commanded to follow what God says, uh, whether it be positive to us or negative to us. It doesn't matter. Uh, we're to follow the Lord. And so that's what we try to do. And all of us who are teachers here at Laurel Hill, we, we very carefully try to follow the word of the Lord in everything that we do. And so um, my response to those thoughts of what I even feel in myself are often several things is uh, the gospel itself means good news. And you can't have good news if you don't know what the bad news is, right? I mean, you're not going to rejoice over healing from cancer if you don't know how devastating cancer is. It's just a thought. And so that's one reason. Another one would be these are very real issues that we're dealing with. Life is reality. Life, and that sounds foolish to say that, but it's, it's not just some dream that we're living. We're not, we're not just in a make-believe world that we can just have it any way that we want. We're in God's world, and God wants us to know how to live in this world. The other thing would be the Lord is the one who's brought this up. As we go through his verses week after week after week after week, we're just following what he has left for us. And if it's good for the Lord, then it must be what he wants for us. And so that's what we do. Um, and the fact is that the Lord loves us so much. And I really want to say it this way. I hope you hear it this way. The Lord loves us so much that he wants us to know the truth. That's love. There's not a parent alive who cares for their children that doesn't desperately want their children to live in the light of truth. Right, parents? Grandparents? It's true, right? And our Lord loves us. So if you want to know about a loving God, know that our God loves us so much that he gives to us the truth. And we have to spend time in it. And the final thought would simply be eternity depends on it. Eternity depends on it. We're not just picking a path of vacation here. We're talking about our eternal destiny. And I don't know if you've done the math or not, but that's a long time. It is a long time to live in eternity somewhere. And so these are just some of the reasons that I feel, and, and I just want to express those to you this morning. I remember uh, some years ago when we were doing our services at Rosewood over here before COVID start, there was a lady there um, who one of the very first Sundays we started, I... Honestly, I don't remember what I preached. I, I think it was certainly something about salvation. And uh, she said to me afterwards, she says, you know, Baptist preachers are just always, I, she says, I went to a Baptist church when I was a little girl and it frightened me so badly. I just didn't ever want to go back. And so I switched to being a Methodist. And I, that has no meaning on anything. I grew up Methodist. But the point is, is that it, it being the message of the gospel scared her. Well, there's a reality in that God wants us to be frightened. He wants to frighten us on to the truth, right? You see what I'm saying? And that's why he shares with us what he does. That's why he's very clear about what he has just preached to us as of what we looked at last week. He's saying to us, listen, you want to know the truth? The truth is there's only one way to the kingdom where you and I would say, oh, come on now. Lord, give us another way. I mean, this is a little narrow-minded, isn't it? I mean, this is a little bit extreme, but not to the Lord because the Lord knows the truth. And he's saying, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, there's only one gate. It's a very narrow gate. We talked about this last time. If you haven't listened to that message, you can go back and listen to that. He says it's a very narrow road that the gate leads to. It's full of deception. If you're not very careful, it is full of danger. There's a lot of emotional stress and strain on this path. There's a lot of conflict in your soul, but it's the only way. It is the only way. He also says out of truth, there is a wide road that leads to a real destination. It's the road that is very easy. One that is full of the pleasures that, of life that you would enjoy. Have it your way kind of thing. Gratify yourself, those personal indulgences or whatever they might be. And again, it does lead to a destination. It leads to not my kingdom, but the kingdom of Satan. This wide path leads away from the eternal place that you really want to be. And it is full of Satan's demonic creatures, or the creatures that rebelled against God, that God cast out of heaven. That's the truth. 
And again, we would say, well, you know, I like the gumdrops, gumdrops and the lollipops a lot better than I want to hear all of that. And so many people just want to have their ears tickled and they go a different direction. But Jesus is very clear about what he's taught us. And by the way, what he's taught us is also there's only two groups of people. As you and I look at the world, we say, no, there's all kinds of people. Look at all the different belief systems. I mean, people just all over the place believe in whatever they want what they're taught and, and they have their own way to their God and to God. And this is just one way, well, not according to the Lord, not according to our God. He says, no, there is only one way and there's only one destination that you want to be on. And there's only two groups of people, those that are on the right path and those who are not on the right path, those who are headed to God and those who are headed away from God. Those people who are headed away from God are ones who are really serving themselves because they're only interested in themselves because a person who really wants the truth is not just interested in themselves. They want to know the truth for themselves, but also to give it to somebody else because they want people on the same road with them, right? We're here this morning, not just for us. I hope you're here this morning so that you can gather truth for your heart so that you can share with somebody you love to make sure they're on the right, on the, the right road. But there are a lot of people that are not. Uh, and these people are greatly deceived. And that's the truth. The Lord is saying that. I'm not saying that. The Lord is saying that. And they're not only deceived within themselves, but they're deceived by other people. So let's add this little caveat to this as the Lord gets into the next section of Scripture that we'll stand for here in just a minute. The Lord is going to tell us, and listen, not only is there a narrow road and a wide road and a narrow path, a narrow gate that leads to both of those, wide gate, and a de destination, but there are people on the road who are pointing also to the wide road. And hopefully there are those who are pointing to the narrow road, which would be people like myself and others who are trying to teach the truth across the world. But to make this matter even worse, now the Lord is going to instruct us this morning, and we're going to break this up into a couple parts because it's just too much to take in in one sitting, is that there are people, if you can imagine this in your mind's eye, who have all the appearances of leading people in the truth, but in reality they're pointing to hell. But they don't want you to know that. Because in a lot of ways they don't know it themselves because they're deceived themselves. But that's also reality. And so Jesus refers to them then as false teachers, and that's who he wants to address now. Now that he's clarified the path and the destinations and the people he wants us to be aware that on this path, there are going to be people who are going to lead you the right way or there are going to be people who lead you in the wrong way. So let's talk about the wrong leaders, the wrong teachers, if you will. So let's call this a little mini-series, if you will. It'll be just part one and part two with two different titles about spiritual deceivers. Today is that part one, and I just want to define for us what the Lord gives to us about a true spiritual deceiver. That sounds a little like an oxymoron, but that's the reality. There are people who are truly spiritual deceivers. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Next week, we'll talk more about exposing those people. Okay, so let's stand and let's read together right on the heels of what we read last week and studied, and you'll see this pretty clearly. We're just going to talk about the first verse, but I want, to, I want to read all of this in its context so you see the whole purpose of the Lord here. Beware, in verse 15, of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Okay, amen. You may be seated. Like last week's passage and much of what this sermon has shared with us, uh, this is very familiar territory to those of us who've walked with the Lord for a long time. Uh, but it is so necessary for us to rehear certain things. If you've been a Christian for any number of years, what God wants to warn us about, because we can also be deceived. We can be manipulated if we're not very careful, if we're not sticking to the truth. Now, if you're here for the first time, you've not 
heard this truth from the Lord, you're growing in your faith, and I would encourage you to really pay attention here because not everybody who professes to be a believer in God is a nice guy or a nice girl. And so you got to watch out for them, and that's what the Lord is telling us here. Okay, so if I were going to give a basic outline, and I did that in my mind as I was putting this together, and that is, number one, we just simply have in verse 15 a sounding of the alarm. Okay, and I'll talk about that in just a second. A sounding of the alarm. Secondly, it's to clarify the appearance of these false teachers. Jesus makes that clear. And then the last part, which we'll see next time, is a three-part test, if you will, of how to determine a false teacher. And I've given them all the letter D to begin with, and that would be a look at their disposition. And we'll go over this next week. A look at their disposition. Secondly, checking their doctrine. And then finally, we're going to look at discerning their disciples or their followers. Okay, so a look at their disposition, checking their doctrine, and then discerning their disciples. And then finally, we'll conclude all that with things to consider when deciding to call out false teachers. What do we do? Do we bring them out? Do we publicly say something about them? How do we go about doing this as God's people? Okay, all right, so there you go. That's kind of how the series is going to go today and tomorrow, uh, next week. Let's start with sounding the alarm. Look at verse 15 again. Beware of the false prophets. Beware of the false prophets. Now that word beware is not an unfamiliar word to you. It's very common. You've used it many times over. But let me just give you the technical meaning of the word from the lexicon. That's a Greek-English dictionary, if you will, of Greek words. It means to be in a continuous state of readiness to learn of any future danger. Okay, that's a pretty descriptive meaning there. To be in a continuous, listen to the words, continuous state of readiness to learn of any future danger and to respond appropriately to that danger. Okay? That's very, very important. Now we could also define it as you need to pay attention. The Lord is calling his people to attention. Beware. Keep on the lookout for this. Be alert for it. Be on your guard. This is a very serious warning, a call to watch out. And it's very appropriate at this point for Jesus to do this because he's getting ready to talk about a subject that the people are not going to be clearly aware of, and that's why he wants to deal with it, and that would be these false teachers. Now, we've talked about the false teachers. Jesus has brought up false teachers many times over as we've gone through this sermon. But now that he's bringing his concluding remarks here, he wants them to be specifically aware of these who profess to be the truth, but they are not the truth. And that takes a lot of discernment. Because as serious as this warning was, this was not the first time that God had warned his people about false teachers. And that's pretty standard, right? God gives us instruction, we go along our merry way, we do pretty well, and then over time we let our guard down. And not only are we affected internally, but we're affected by those around us, or we affect those people around us. And so it's necessary for the Lord to keep bringing up the subjects that we are most prone to fail at. And this one is certainly one of those. Watch out for false prophets. They have been in Israel's life. They have been a thorn in Israel's flesh for centuries. And they are a thorn in our flesh. Let's go back to Israel and I'll show you this from Moses' writings in Deuteronomy 13. God, very clear to Moses, says this, verses 1 through 5, if a prophet, and the idea of a prophet is a forth teller, a proclaimer, okay, now, there, just as a little footnote here, there are no prophets in the sense that there were in the Old Testament days because we know the end. God has given to us clearly how things are going to end. We know the beginning to the end. A proclaimer, a prophet now would be like I am, a preacher who is a teller of what God has already said. But in these days, the scripture was not complete. And so there were still those who were telling of the future and what would come. So God says through Moses, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, which was a very real possibility then, and the sign or the wonder comes true, which we're all going, yeah, this is awesome, right? Concerning which he spoke to you saying, let us go after, here's the catch, 
other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul, which was the great commandment. You remember that? You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him and you shall keep his commandments. Listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. You shall purge the evil from among you. Now, I personally don't know how much more clear God could be in his warning to Israel. Very clear words. Don't listen to somebody who tries to draw you away from the truth. Very basic. If he does, God doesn't just say to Israel, just shoo them away. God says, no, they're to be killed. That's a serious indictment. That's a serious situation. Now, I'm not saying we're going to go out and we're going to start shooting the false prophets. I'm just simply wanting us to see that God is very serious about this subject. And because God's serious about it, we better be serious about it. And John, 1 John, this is the Apostle John in New Testament now, 1 John chapter 4, John also very clearly writes of false prophets and teachers. And notice what he says here in verse 1 of chapter 4. Beloved, writing to the church, do not believe every spirit. Very clear. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why, John? Why do we need to do that? Well, because like centuries ago and currently, many false prophets have gone out into the world. They're out there. They're there. In fact, the Apostle Paul also, and in fact, before I even read this, let me just tell you this, that if you've paid attention in your studies in scripture over the years, you, you have been amazed at how many times God brings up the subject of false teachers. It is riddled throughout the scriptures. In fact, most of the New Testament is filled with warnings of watching out for false teachers and deceivers. One of which comes from the Apostle Paul who brings this up several times. In 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 13 and 26, he refers to them as false brothers. Very interesting that Paul would put it that way. Why would he say that? Well, he would say that because they appear to be brothers, but they're false. They're wearing the hat of the brother. They're wearing the clothes of the brother. They speak, they talk, they act, they walk, they sound, they feel like a brother, but Paul says, no, they're false. In verse 13, he said, they are false apostles. Paul would say to Timothy in 1 Timothy, they are liars. In Acts 20, he would call them savage wolves, which is also what the Lord tells us here. Peter then later in 2 Peter 2 would also refer to them as false teachers and caution the church, caution the believers that were dispersed throughout the region due to Roman persecution. Be careful because there are false teachers who will lead you astray. And you can imagine in Peter's day, if you follow the devotions that I was giving to you, that people were living in a very, very difficult time. They were scattered around because of persecution. And so that's how a false person works. They come in when the sheep are not aware and they seem to present truth, but they're not really given the truth. And so Peter says, watch out, watch out. And again, later, we'll see this as we get through more of the gospel of Matthew in chapter 24, verse 24, Jesus refers to them again and says, many will come and deceive. And that's when the disciples are asking him, Lord, when are we going to know? How are we going to know that you're coming back? When are, what are going to be the signs of your return? And he says, pay attention to the false teachers. There will be many that will come. And so what I'm saying to us this morning is what I believe God is wanting us to know is that these are very real threats. These being false teachers. They are very real threats. And the reason they're threats is because they are people who play on our emotions. They play on our thought life. They play on the fact that they know we want to hear the truth. And so they will manipulate things because they also know we don't know the truth very well. Hello? We don't know the truth very well. And so these false demonic filled people would rather use their flattering words and pleasant words, 
which all sounds wonderful, and in many ways it is, and it all has its place, instead of the words that God has for them. Okay, so I guess what I'm saying is, let's go back to my first and my opening thoughts, is that can I just encourage us to never grow weary of the message of God's word, no matter whether it even sounds negative to us or not? We have to be a people. I was just talking to a brother right before the service, and we were talking about how uh, even me as your pastor, don't listen to me verbatim without checking what I tell you. It is your responsibility to follow up behind me to make sure that I'm giving to you the clarity of the truth. I need correcting at times. There are things that I don't understand and see clearly. We're all in the process of learning and growing, right? And everybody says, yeah right? We've not arrived. And so we got to be careful about this. And so they prey on people who are not discerning. So we want to be discerning people. Well, why do they do all of this? I've already emphasized this a little bit, but let's look at some scripture here. In John chapter 3, Jesus says this, for everyone, you know that includes everyone, right? Who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been brought wrought in God. In other words, the answer to the question is why do these false teachers exist is because they love the darkness. They love their sin. They love being a part of deception. They love gaining the power of the crowd and gaining the control of the individual. They love it, they love it, they love it, they love it, they love it because it elevates themselves. And often again, as I said earlier, they they don't even know that they're doing that. It's just their sinful nature loves darkness is what the Lord says. And so because these are such a concern to the Lord, the Lord wants to define them for us. And so let's do that. But let's do it this way. Let's flip it around. And instead of first looking at the false prophet, let's look at the true prophet. And that's kind of like the idea of how you've heard before where the FBI will teach people about the real money so well that they can spot the counterfeit. You know, if you've heard that before or not, but they don't teach them to study the counterfeit so well. They teach them to study the real thing so well that when the counterfeit pops up, they can see it immediately. And so that's what we want to do. Let's start with the real deal here. So two things of importance. Number one is a true teacher is called by God. Now that may sound a little bit strange and unnecessary to say, but it really is necessary to say. A true teacher is called by God. Secondly, he teaches only God's message. He teaches only God's message. Moses was a great example of this. I'm going to give you some other examples of this as we look at this. Listen in Exodus 4. If you followed the life of Moses, you know that he was raised in Egypt under Pharaoh. Uh, God used that time in his life uh, to preserve him because God was going to lead the people of Israel to fulfill his covenant promise to them through Moses. And Moses was that man at that time. And so God used him greatly. And so in the Exodus, in Exodus 4, is when we find God coming to Moses as he's left Egypt now living 40 years in the backside of a wilderness as a shepherd. And God says this to him. Moses, I want you to come be my man, basically. And then pick up at verse 10 of Exodus 4. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. In other words, Lord, I don't don't have what it takes. I don't have the ability to speak well, Uh, I'm not the greatest at articulating thoughts. Whatever Moses was thinking, this is basically what what we have here. And you know, everybody wants a great orator, right? I mean, everybody wants to sit under somebody who can speak well and make sense and they have all the appearances of being a great leader. Well, Moses says, God, I'm not that guy. But notice what the Lord says to him. The Lord said to him in verse 11, Moses, who's made your mouth? Basically, and I'm paraphrasing that. Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, Moses, 
your argument's not going to hold water with me. Notice in verse 12. Now then, if you get that, Moses, then go. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you are to say. God says, I'm sending you, Moses. I'm calling you. This is my deal. And so God didn't want Moses to think he had to conjure up in his mind some reason to lead. He wanted him to be settled on the fact that God had done this. You are my man, and so go do it. And he's not the only one. We have a listing of many, many people in the scriptures from the minor prophets, which would be from Hosea all the way through Malachi. And by the way, a minor prophet is not the minor with the pick and shovel or small. He's not a real small guy. Minor simply means that the letter that he wrote was less in length than the major prophets. So you got the minor prophets, the major prophets, which would be um, Isaiah through Daniel, who are those who have just a longer writing. The book is longer, and so they're referred to as major prophets versus minor prophets. We have all of those men that were called by God, not self-appointed people. Not self-appointed. And listen, this is very, very important. This being this subject of the calling of God is very important for you as the church to hear. And we've been over this as our church family, but some of you who are new over the years have not heard me teach on this. But when it comes to choosing leaders, it is up to you as God's people to discern if that person really has a call of God on their life. That's the first thing that you're to look for. Is God calling them? Not some committee because there's a need, and we're pretty good about that. I mean, we're just human, right? We have needs, and so we say, oh, well, let's fill the need, and we do it, and that has its place. But the reality is you as the church need to be discerning enough to say, does this person have the call of God on their life? Does the person give exemplary, uh, give some manifestation of that? So no committee, no team is to be the one who calls the person. I understand all that works together in its own way. I'm just telling you the the stair step here of how it should work first. This is not a person who's just put in place because the denomination says this is what should be done. Hopefully they've done their homework and that's been the case if it's a part of a denomination. And, um, you know, not even mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. There have been a lot of moms and dads and grandma and grandpa called preachers. People who have said, oh, you'd make a great preacher. Mama loves her baby and she says, oh, you got such a great personality. I think God's calling you to the ministry. Well, God may be moving in mom's life or dad's life in a lot of ways, but until the call comes on the person themselves, it's not of the Lord, right? And God does that. I remember one time I was sitting in the airport getting ready to go to the Philippines and I was by myself and... um, waiting on the flight to start, and my phone rang, and it was someone on the other end that's very close to me, outside of my immediate family, um, and said, I don't know how to tell you this, but God has just told me that you're not to get on that airplane. Well, now, that's a little unsettling, right? You're getting ready to fly across the world, almost literally, which I hate to do anyway. And literally, before you're getting ready to walk down the chute, they call you and say, God has said you're not to get on the plane. Well, thankfully, the Lord helped me to discern enough to be able to say lovingly, I appreciate that, but I think if God didn't want me to get on the plane, he would have told me that, right? And so I got on the plane and everything was fine. My point is, is that the person who is even being called of God should have an awareness of that call, right? Very, very important for us to know that. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4. He gave some, that's God, As apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for a purpose, which is to equip the saints for the work of service, to build up the body of Christ. God has called certain individuals for various roles in order to grow the church, not just in number, but grow spiritually, to help the church to be what God has called them to be. But notice the emphasis here is that God gave. God did this, and that's what Paul's making clear. God put it on the hearts of these men to lead in the preaching of the teaching or whatever area God has called them to do. There is a book that I have enjoyed over the years uh, from John MacArthur that he put together or his people put together on pastoral ministry, and I kind of use it as a reference book because I need to go back and look at things at times. And there's one chapter written by a guy named Jim George. He's been with the ministry for lots and lots of years 
a very godly man, and he wrote the chapter on the call to pastoral ministry. It's very lengthy, and I just want to read you the, read you the very beginning excerpts of this. And he says, To serve in such leadership capacities, recipients of this call, notice there's the phrase, must have assurance that God has so selected them. That God has selected them. A realization of this assurance rests on four criteria, which you'll go to talk about in the chapter, but this one is the one I want you to know is, the first of which is a confirmation of the call by others and by God. In other words, what he's going to go on to talk about is that when the person knows that they're called by God, then other people are going to see that. God will affirm that. This is what he did in Israel. He affirmed for the people whether a prophet was real or not. And the people then could take comfort in saying, yeah, we see that. And so in calling a leader, the church says, this man says he's called of God. He certainly sounds like he is. And somehow spiritually, the spirit of God moves in the hearts of the congregation. And they say, yeah, we see that. If we are discerning people. So very, very important. Okay, now, not only is the call of God important, but let's go to the second part here. The message of God is of God. The message of God must be of God as well. Jeremiah said of himself, talking about himself, while the Hebrews were in captivity, in chapter 20, verse 9, if I say I will not remember him, talking about God, or speak any more in his name, if I say that, Jeremiah is saying, if I neglect God and stop speaking in his name, notice what's happening. What will happen? My heart will become like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of holding it in and I cannot endure it. You know what Jeremiah is saying? He's saying not only has God called me to be God's man, but I have a message of God burning in my heart that even if I decide I want to shut it up, God's not going to let me because it's his message. It's going to come out. Paul said of himself in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, I am under compulsion. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I am under compulsion. He was so singularly focused on spreading the gospel message. He wasn't, Paul wasn't concerned about church growth. Not that that's not important. It is important in its own way, but that was not his emphasis or anything else but preaching and teaching exactly what God told him. In fact, I won't take us to those passages this morning, but you listen to Jesus and he'll say the same thing. I only do and say what the Father tells me, right? Because it's God's message. Paul would say of himself two different times to the churches in Galatia and also the church in Colossae, about the call and also the message. Listen to chapter 1 of Galatians 1, verse 15. When God, Paul says, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace. You hear that? Number one, I'm God's man because even before I was born, God put his hand of grace on me and called me to his work. This was God's calling. Now, that was important in the day because Paul was greatly attacked as being a fake. And he's saying, look, folks, I'm telling you, God called me. And then secondly, in verse 16, he says, the reason he called me was to reveal his son in me so that I might, what, preach him among the Gentiles. I'm not going out preaching my own message. I'm not preaching a message that makes people feel good or just tickles their ears or tickles their fancy or whatever you want to say. I'm preaching his message. And again, he would say that to the church in Colossae of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God. There's the call bestowed on me for your benefit. God called me to help you so that I might fully carry out what? The preaching of the word of God. I'm not coming with my own message. I'm not coming with my own ideas. It's what God says. And this all goes right back to the beginning of what I was saying. Please don't ever tire of hearing something repetitively as we go week to week because God has written his word so that we will study it in his order because we need to hear it in his order because he knows we are greatly distracted and easily distracted and we easily forget and we need to hear it over and over again. That may sound negative at times. It may sound woe is me. It may sound like doom and gloom. But in the end, it's the path that leads to the eternal kingdom. 
And that's what these men were saying. And so that's what you should hear this morning. God set his people apart and he has a message that he wants his preachers to give to his people. Why? Because he loves them. This is a message. God's message is a message of life and death. We're not just talking about having some good feeling so we can make it on Monday morning, which is what most people look for. They look for the quick fix. Just give me the shot. Give me the caffeine. Give me the Red Bull. Give me the monster drink, whatever. Just give me something to get me through my life at this point. And God says, I got something far better than that. Like the woman at the well. If you drink of this, of me, I'll give you a refreshment that will never end. So very, very clear. All right. Now let's talk about the false prophet. This is going to be very obvious. Should be. There is no directive from God. There's no message from God. Let's go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 5, verse 30. Again, speaking to the Israelites. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. You say, well, what's so horrible, Lord? What in the world's happened? Verse 31, the prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests rule on their own authority. Here's the deal. This is horrible, God says. The people who are professing to be the teachers and the leaders of my word are not going on my authority. I have not called them. I have not given them a message. And you want to know what the greater tragedy is? Look at the second part, the last part of verse 31. And my people love it. What? My people love it. They love their ears tickled. They love to hear the good news. Give me the bright sunshine. Tell me all the rosy things about how great life is going to be as a follower of God. And Jesus is in turn saying, listen, yes, it will be in my kingdom and I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. But on this road here and now, it's a very narrow, treacherous, dangerous road. And on this road, there are going to be false leaders and teachers pointing you in the wrong direction. It's a very dangerous path. Jeremiah 23, 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They're not, they are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord, making him a greater threat than anybody because he's not from God, which again leads people down the wide path. And again, many profess to be a protector of the shepherd, of the sheep. They profess to be shepherds, one who cares for and feeds people the truth. <clears throat> but in reality, that person, the Lord is saying, is leading you to the slaughter. How devastating this is. Think about it. That there are literally people out there that are demonically controlled, even in many ways, unbeknownst to themselves, but they're preaching from their own selfish means and for their own selfish gains. And we'll see this in a minute later that are literally leading people right to the door of hell when, in re, when they're saying they're leading them to heaven. And God says, you better be discerning. You better beware. Don't ever give up your guard on this. Don't just pick up something and say, oh, look, this is from the Lord. You don't know that unless you use your discernment. And these are ways to know, of which we'll talk more about later. Those of you who are old enough will remember the infamous Jim Jones. Tragic, tragic situation. I was telling the, uh, the group earlier that I remember, even as a young person, uh, the CBS, ABC, I don't know who it was, but do you remember the helicopter scene from the, the, as the person's videoing the bodies on the ground in Guyana? And we we're all wondering, what in the world is this? As men and women and children laying side by side and thousand, a thousand people, I think it was. Well, Jim Jones was, of all things, the leader of what was called the People's Temple Christian Church. Sounds good, doesn't it? Let's go there. It's a temple, it's Christian, it's church. Must be okay. Well, Mel White, who wrote a book on this called Deceived, he wrote about why so many people were deceived. And this is an excerpt from his book. He says, he, that is Jim Jones, knew how to inspire hope. Boy, that's what we want to hear, isn't it? We want somebody to give us some hope. 
He was committed to people in need. He counseled prisoners and juvenile delinquents. He started a job placement center. He opened rest homes and homes for the retarded. He had a health clinic. He organized a vocal training, uh, vocational training center. He provided free legal aid. He founded a community center. He preached about God. He even claimed to cast out demons and do miracles and heal. But on the other hand, we find all the marks of a false prophet. He promoted himself through the use of celebrities, a very common vehicle for false prophets to, get, to gain credibility. He manipulated the press. He wanted certain favorable stories. He was big on playing the press. And he used the language and the forms of faith to gain his power. John MacArthur writes this, Jim Jones created a warm, supposedly Christian community, but he replaced Jesus Christ as the authority and more and more garnered loyalty to himself. He began demanding money for every service he offered and was preoccupied with sex in both its normal and deviant forms. He would lie convincingly about anything in order to gain an advantage or make a desired impression. Before his bizarre death, he had managed to gain the admiration and praises of countless church leaders. How about that? Governors, senators, congressmen, and even the president of the United States. The greatest tragedy of Jonestown was not that nearly a thousand people died, but that they died believing they were serving God. And that's really the key. They believed they were serving God. In their heart of hearts, they believed they were serving God. In truth, of course, MacArthur writes, they were serving Satan and were on their way to hell if they did not know Christ. And any believer who may have been among them incurred great loss of reward. It's even possible for people who are true believers to get lost under the teaching and the fallacies of a false preacher. And the reality is the Lord warns us that not only Jim Jones, but many, many more will come. In fact, when Jesus was questioned about his second coming, as I mentioned in Matthew 24, he said this, which we didn't read early, earlier, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Now you look around the world today and you look in your life and you say, I this just not happened to me. I, I, don't, I don't see that. Well, be careful. That's the Lord's point. Because God himself, the creator of the universe, the Lord of our soul has said, many will come in my name. Be careful. Don't deceive yourself into thinking you can't be tripped by it. You can be, and the Lord is saying that. Peter says that there were many within the church in the church in Peter's day. And many were coming. Second Peter 2, false prophets also arose among the people. Imagine that. Within the ranks of the church, false people, teachers, rose up. How does that happen? Well, it can only happen one way. The infiltration of Satan and the inability or the lack of willingness to be discerning on the part of God's people. Peter says, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Notice the words, secretly. These are the whisperers. These are the ones who covertly go behind the scenes and bring up subjects that are contrary to what the preacher of truth is really teaching. They do it secretly, Peter says. Even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You will know these, and we'll get into this more next time, but you will know people like this because they will begin to speak a language that is not normal for the church. Listen, if somebody walks into the room with a pair of pants on, that the entire group doesn't like on that person, they should at least listen to what the group is saying, right? Well, that's what happens in a false teacher's sense. They'll come in and they'll wear these false clothes, we'll see in a second, and they'll promote a message that the rest of the group is not saying is accurate, but yet some who are not discerning will say, oh, well, that must be right. 
it must be okay. Jude will say in verses 3 and 4, when he's just wanting to write to the church. It's a beautiful letter. If you've never studied the letter of Jude, some of us did back several summers ago uh, here on Wednesday nights. But if you've never studied the letter of Jude, you need to go back and read this. It's very, very short. It's just 20-some verses. Jude starts out by saying to the church, listen, I just, I wanted to start out, I just wanted to write a letter about our salvation. There's the good news, right? He just says, I just want to talk about the good stuff. Let's just talk about how awesome it is to be saved. But he stops himself and he says, I can't do it. I had to stop because he says in verse 4, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. What? Well, the idea of creeping in is the other word would be worming their way in. They kind of manipulate the crowd. And they, you've been in a crowd before where somebody will kind of push their way through. You know, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me kind of thing. And Jude is saying, this is how these false people do it. They, they manipulate their way in and, and they're, they're among you and you don't even notice it. You're not even aware of it. But Jude says, these are the people who have been long before marked out for this condemnation. In other words, God has told us they're coming and they're here. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. Now, Jude will talk about a lot of other things, but one of the things he's bringing up here is these preachers and teachers were falsely saying, oh, listen, God is a God of grace. It's okay if you sin. God understands. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Just relax. God loves you. You don't think God would condemn you or judge you because of a sin, do you? I mean, everybody sins. Whew. Wow. Sure, I'm glad you made me feel a lot better. Glad you said that. Turning grace into a license. Go ahead, you know, it's all right. It's okay. Everybody sins. Just, just go ahead. But Jude says, no, that's denying the master. That's not what the Lord has said. We will all stand in judgment, not lose our salvation, but we will judge, be judged for our sin. Paul says in Acts 20, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flocks, talking to the elders, to the leaders of the church, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You see the call there? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In other words, men, remember this. God put you there to protect his people. He purchased this with his own blood. Now you do your job. Pay attention. He says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. There's the warning again. Remembering that day and night for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Paul knew after three years of urging the people, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, that the wolves were going to come in secretly right behind him after he was gone. And they were going to do their work. And he says, with tears I cried about this because I knew you would not be discerning enough to know when you're being deceived. So pay attention. Don't get lost in it. Stick to what the Lord has taught you. And don't go for anything else. And so he exposes the false teachers. Jesus does now back to Matthew 7 and tells them, be aware. Because they have one agenda, which is to glorify themselves. That's what they really want. And Paul would have more to say about that in Ephesians 5. Well, let's keep going here. Look with me again in verse 15 as he clarifies a little bit more of their appearance. And we'll, we'll say some things here and, and stop at this point. He says, Beware of those people who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In other words, they have all the appearances of a sheep, that cute, cuddly, wonderful little animal that we get wool from and many other things. They act like sheep, but inwardly they are deadly. They're deadly, like a wolf. What a comparison. Now, you and I don't have wolves running around, right? We hear about them and, and we read about them. And we see them. I've only known one person, in fact, who actually had a wolf as a pet. It was a man's wife who I worked for years ago on the farm. 
And uh, this was before I started working, but I remember her very vividly telling me about how she had to train this wolf. She said the way the mother trains them is to, when she wants to correct them, she'll pin them down and bite them on the nose until they bleed. And that way they get the point of whatever she's trying to teach them. And she said, that's what I do. She said, I would pin this little wolf down and I would bite it on the nose until it yelped and screamed. And it knew that I was the mother. I'm like, well, man, a lot. Her husband, her husband was saying, you go, girl, because I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not going to bite a wolf on the nose. But wolves, even though they can be domesticated, and that's true, they can be to a certain extent from what I'm, I'm reading and understanding, is that they are known for their savage instinct. And that's why the Lord uses them as an illustration here. I mean, they are savage animals. Let me read you something. It's a little bit long. I didn't have time this morning, but you get the bonus of this. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game uh, wrote this just a few years ago. Candace Burner was a teacher and an avid jogger who, dis- who was discovered dead along a road by snowmobilers who found wolf tracks in the adjacent snow. The Alaska State Medical Examiner ruled that her death was caused by multiple injuries due to the animal mauling. A series of autopsies performed on wolves culled in the surrounding area shortly after the attack ruled out rabies, sickness, or wolf dog hybridization as being caused by uh, the cause of the attack. The verified case was notable as being the first recorded fatal wolf attack in Alaska in which DNA evidence was gathered to confirm wolf involvement. In the weeks leading up to the assault, natural prey for local wolves was becoming scarce. Four wolves at Points North Landing had begun feeding on camp garbage that fall and were habituating, habitually increasing in human, uh, uh, coming to human activities. On the 4th of November, 05, two people, an experienced bush pilot and a geophysicist, met up with two aggressive wolves on the airfield close to camp. The two young men beat back the assault, photographed the wolves, and told everybody in camp. They later turned their photos over to the investigating authorities. This incident is now presumed to have been an exploratory assault by the wolves. Listen to this carefully. That fits a pattern leading up to predation. On the 8th of November, a man was warned not to walk near Wollaston Lake, but he ignored it. He hiked in the snow, but did not return to the geological survey or camp. His body was found partially consumed in an area known to be frequented by four wolves, two gray tans, one black and one white, which regularly fed on human garbage. The pathologist who performed the autopsy testified that the man had lost about 25 to 30 percent of his body mass in the assault with the top midsection to the thigh having been partially consumed. Although originally the possibility that the culprit was a black bear was not ruled out, a coroner's jury concluded after a two-year inquiry that the attackers had indeed been a wolf pack. Folks, that's graphic. But that's what the Lord means by ravenous. The Lord's words are very carefully and clearly chosen. These people are vicious, he's talking about. A wolf is merciless because it's a wild animal. It does what it does by its own natural instinct. It doesn't care that these people were humans. It just needed food. And so it doesn't care about anything else. In fact, this word ravenous is used in three other places in Scripture, and it really is meant to refer to swindlers. A swindler. And you know what a swindler is, right? It's a person who deceptively does something to get something from you, usually money or possessions of some sort. We've all been swindled in some way. We get a phone call and we're swindled out of something. And that's usually what it's about. Well, in a wolf's case, and this is why it fits, is because they also ravage and swindle people out of their possessions. In some case, even their life. Right? A false teacher also swindles people by leading them down a false road, usually to get something from them. Again, usually some form of monetary possession or some gain that they can take to the bank. And they do so by being extremely clever. I remember we had um, a person in the church some years ago, still part of the church, uh, came to me, and said, Pastor Bruce, I, I got to let you know something that I, I just found out. She said, I had sent a check to one of my other churches that I used to go to, 
And I think it was for $50 or something like that. And she said, I got the check back from the bank, if I remember the story correctly. And they had, she showed me a photocopy of it where they had, the pastor had changed the check from $50 to $500. And, and of course, the authorities were going to take it up from that point. And there's many things like what I'm reading for you here and even talking to you about. I mean, there was one story that Fox 5 in Alexandria produced in 2016 of a husband and wife, a pastor wife, who had been involved in a swindling operation that was to raise money for ministry purposes. And uh, the article, I've got it here, and I won't take the time to read it, but it comes out into the over the million-plus dollars that people had given to the ministry so that they could so-called do ministry only to find out by church members that it was really just going in their pocket. And we've heard many, many stories like that before. My point in bringing all of those up is that like a wolf, these false teachers, as Jesus connects them, are very smart, very capable of deceiving. And they approach their prey in a way that the prey doesn't know that they're coming. In fact, let me read you this. Wolves are opportunists. This is talking about the actual animal. They test their prey, sensing any weakness or vulnerability through visual cues and even through hearing and sense. So all of their senses are used. Contrary to ambush predators, they rely on the element of surprise and a short and intense burst of energy to secure their prey. Wolves are endurance and carousing predators. And I read one article that said just that, that some, some will come from the front while the others are coming up from the back so you don't know what's happening exactly. And they're very, very uh, informative on what they're trying to do. Greatly deceptive. And the Lord's point simply is, is listen, you are like prey to a wolf in the wild if you don't pay attention. If you don't beware constantly protecting yourself spiritually, that wolf, that false teacher will swindle you out of everything that God holds dear to himself. And you will be led down the wide path to destruction. That really becomes the Lord's point. And he says they look like sheep. In other words, in Old Testament days, and this would be the context there, the prophets of those days, and even the shepherds wore clothing that would identify them as such. If you've been in other countries, you know this to be true. Uh, In Romania, when we go there, you see the shepherd, and he looks like he would be a shepherd. He's dressed in that way. Prophets would wear clothing like John the Baptist, would wear camel's hair, to be unique, to stand out from the others. Well, false teachers do the same thing. They want to take on the appearance of, of these people, and so they would also wear something like what a shepherd would wear to give the appearance physically that they're of the Lord. And so they would do all things that they can to keep from being noticed so that they can deceive and intimidate the sheep. In other words, what the Lord is helping us to see is these people are not going to just stand out, they're going to look like a normal part of the territory. Now, that may sound contrary to what I just said. They're going to look like the normal part of the territory because they're going to be dressed like a shepherd. They're going to act like a shepherd. They're going to sound like a shepherd. This is what makes it so deceiving and so dangerous and so misleading. For example, he will speak about Christ. He will speak about the cross. He will speak about God's word and the Holy Spirit and anything that makes him look real spiritually. He may write books on the subject. He may do conferences and speak what sounds like God-honoring words. He may be associated with other believers. Often these people are very kind. They're very pleasant. They're very sensitive to the needs of the people. They have all the appearances, highly knowledgeable about Scripture, and seem to support biblical doctrine, which comes through a lot of different avenues. But the reality is this, and we'll see this next time, we have to watch out for what they don't do. That becomes the reality. But these people are everywhere. Radio, television, conferences, seminars, crusades, and I'm not saying those are bad. Certainly they're not. Those things are all wonderful when it's truly of God's people. But they package the gospel for their gain. 
But in the end, Jesus says they're fake. They're just living a lie. They're just deceivers. They are of their true father, the devil, who works as an angel of darkness. Actually, he appears as an angel of light, but he's really of the darkness. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 11, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise them as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. In other words, on the outside, they have all the moral upholdings of anybody else that looks like the real deal, but inside they are full of darkness. John MacArthur wrote this, They are motivated by the desire for sordid gain. Their false faith cannot restrain their unregenerate flesh, so the true sensuality of those slaves of corruption often becomes known, and it is evident that in their greed they exploit people with false words. They also have eyes full of adultery and never cease from sin, possessing a heart trained in greed. And that paragraph simply was put together by him with just scripture. This is what the Lord says. So, as we finish this for today, we are to be on the lookout. We're to be warned. We're to pay attention for people who would deceive us and try to satisfy themselves. Because he or she, and let's throw the she in there, is never really about Christ. It's not really about Jesus. It's really about what they can get. But they have such great deceptive abilities. So, how then do we expose these false teachers? How do we really see them for who they are? Well, that's for next time. Okay? All right. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for um, the clarity of your truth. And not only the clarity of your truth, Lord, but we thank you for truth. We thank you, Lord, that you did not come here to give us anything just to make us feel better about ourselves. You certainly want that. And one day we'll have that in the eternal kingdom. What you came for was to rescue us from sin. And in order to do that, you had to show us the darkness. You have to show us where we go wrong. You have to do the adjusting on us. You have to get us to a place where we are willing to be adjusted. And so, Father, we thank you for passages like what we've studied as we've been listening to you now teach about the true servant of the Lord as we watch, lived through the Beatitudes and all the things that we've studied and, and how there's only one path to the eternal kingdom. And now you're telling us to be ever so mindful because there are people who want to deceive us. Lord, I pray that Laurel Hill and those that hear my voice by whatever means would be attentive to their souls. Lord, I pray that you would awaken those sleeping spirits and help them not to be lulled into the quietness of Satan's demise, but they would pay attention to the words of truth and that they would pay attention to their souls and what they're doing so that they will hear you speak which you give to us through your word. Lord, may they become students of your word, not just readers, not just passers-by, but people who study your word. Thank you, Lord, for the clarification. Thank you for your love. Lord, we know that you truly love us because you do want to give us the truth and you do give us the truth. So, Lord, look into our hearts this morning and help us to see what's there so that we may give it to you, that it may be corrected. We pray this all in Jesus' name.